Good morning, NFL fans, and welcome to the Super Bowl edition of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. This is the final episode of the season for us uh, at Monday Morning Huddle, myself, and uh, at, at footballnation.com. It's been a great year. Uh, we're going to have a double episode here today, so we're going to run uh, 50 to 60 minutes, uh, completely covering every angle that I find important through the Super Bowl. And towards the end of the episode, we're also going to talk about the MVP awards uh, that were announced Saturday evening and also the Hall of Fame ballot. The class of 2013 has been announced, and uh, there's some good uh, juicy details about that we can also talk about. A great class, um, and we'll get to that later in the show. But to start off, uh, obviously the big news of the week, uh, the Baltimore Ravens capture their second ever Super Bowl title defeating the San Francisco 49ers in great fashion, 34-31, to 31, a final score. Baltimore really dominated this game um, from the beginning, uh, but it became close at the end and probably a little bit closer than most people expected it to be. But um, we'll, we'll get to the real details later on in the show. Um, we're also going to bring on guest star... Tom Pollan, uh, he's been on the show before, and he'll give us uh, his two cents about a couple things. But starting off, um, the first half, like I said, Baltimore really took it to San Francisco um, right from the get-go. Um, and, and Joe Flacco, beginning of this game, really shined, and he, he was the Super Bowl MVP of the game. Um, his final stats, 22 of 33, 287 yards, three touchdowns, and all three of those touchdowns came in the first half. On the first drive that Baltimore had, he's, he found Anquan Bolden in the back of the end zone for a 13-yard score. That, that was after the Ravens had already stopped the San Francisco 49ers, so Baltimore actually won the toss, elected to receive, uh, and later on in the first quarter, the 49ers were able to drive on um, the Ravens' defense, but were unable to find the end zone. And that was kind of, I think, the whole key to the, the beginning part of the game, um, that they were unable to find the end zone early on, and they settled for um, several field goal attempts, or well, two field goal attempts in the first half, and then another one late in the third quarter. Um, and then ultimately didn't find the end zone when they needed it the most at the end of the at the end of the game, but um, Flacco throwing the ball over the field uh, found three different receivers on all three of his touchdown passes. Dennis Pitta in the middle of the second quarter to make it fourteen to three, and then it became twenty one to three when Flacco hit a wide open Jacoby Jones for a fifty six yard touchdown pass um, that really I thought might have put the game away. Uh, you don't want to count out San Francisco, especially when they came back down 17 against Atlanta. Um, you saw other games that were crazy this postseason. Seattle came back against Atlanta. But um, Baltimore had all the momentum, and you figured that they, they were really dominating this game 
uh, unexpectedly, uh, to be honest. I really thought this game was going to be close. Um, from the from the beginning, I thought the whole game would be close. San Francisco ended up giving up, uh, ended up with 468 uh, total yards on offense. Most of that coming in the second half. But um, the two turnovers, we've talked about on the show all year, how important turnovers are. And both those turnovers came in the first half. Uh, one was an interception by Colin Kaepernick, and the other one was a fumble loss by LaMichael James. They actually came on back-to-back plays, offensive plays, for the 49ers. And um, that led to a very heavy time of possession uh, in favor of Baltimore in the second quarter. And they took advantage of that. Uh, There was a a big play uh, towards the end of the first half that all of of all the plays that happened in this game, it's hard to remember all of the important plays. But this one, very important, um, the fake field goal attempt um, from about the 15-yard line, a fourth and nine. And uh, John Harbaugh of the Ravens elects to go with a fake field goal. And that was... a a gutsy call. Didn't get it. Um, the the field goal kicker, uh, Justin Tucker, ran for eight yards, nearly got it, but fell clearly one yard short. And uh, the Ravens lost the chance to score any points and gave the ball back to the 49ers. But what I thought was really big about this play, um, that it I think it instilled confidence, even more confidence, in the Ravens' defense. The fact that Harbaugh is telling his defense, hey, I got faith in you guys. We're not going to settle for three here. It's 21 to three. We're going to try and go for the throat. We want to get that touchdown that really breaks the 49ers' backs. And um, they didn't didn't convert. Um, It was a really gutsy call that uh, fourth and nine is a long way to go for a fake uh, field goal. But they they fell just short. and that um, led to the 49ers getting the ball back, but um, three and out right away. So the Ravens' defense did their job. Baltimore got the ball back, and then that is on the, the next drive. Flacco finds a wide open Jacoby Jones for 56 yards, and they score the 21, uh, make it 21 to three. Um, and I know a lot of people might argue, well, you could have made it would have been 24 to three, or maybe if they would have gotten the fake field goal of uh, 28 to three. That's not really how it works. Um, I, I it wouldn't have been 24 or, or 28. Uh, in my mind, the, they got the great field position and, and were in a position for that 56 yard uh, pass because they the 49ers were pinned back. Um, so far into their zone, uh, into their own um, territory, and that happened because of the failed uh, fake field goal. But at halftime, uh, right before the half, the 49ers did not stay uh, conservative. They, they, I think, rightfully so, knew that they needed to get some points. They needed to go into halftime with some momentum, especially because they were kicking off to Baltimore to start the second half. So any points that you can get to cut into this lead was important for the 49ers. They drove down the field, got close, but again were unable to convert in the red zone, something that the Ravens have been doing really well on defense all year. If you look at the Ravens' defense, 
They weren't ranked very high in, in yards allowed, or even points allowed, to be honest. But the two big stats that are just as important as yards allowed and points allowed for a defense and winning a championship, giveaway, takeaways, well, you know, turnover differential, but ultimately for the defense, takeaways and your red zone defense. Something that I think is really underrated is that red zone defense. How many touchdowns do you give up when that team gets into your, your red zone? Um, and it's, it's a bend but don't break style, which the Ravens have never been before. They've always been very aggressive um, and dominating defense, but this year they were more like a bend don't break. They gave up a lot of yards. Again, in this game, 468 but got two turnovers that had led to points. And when the 49ers got inside the 10-yard line, they didn't get into the end zone, which was key. But going into halftime, 21-6, to Baltimore was leading and receiving the kickoff for the second half. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with Tom Pollan's interview and recap the second half. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We're now joined in by Tom Pollan, Football Nation contributor. Thanks for coming on the show, Tom. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. I always enjoy listening. <laughs> thanks, Tom. Uh, so to kick off the second half, um, the Ravens received the the ball and... To me, my, in my head, Tom, I'm thinking if, if the Ravens score on this drive, the game's over. And they score pretty quickly, setting a Super Bowl record. Uh, Jacoby Jones returned the kickoff 108 yards, actually tying an NFL record. Uh, and it, what an impressive play, Tom. Oh, he turned on Jack. He was almost untouched. Yeah. I agree. At that point, 28 to 6, um, just really were demoralizing the 49ers in every single facet of the game. Uh, Joe Flacco throwing the ball over the field, uh, Baltimore not giving up really anything on defense, and then the special teams play was just special. But then after that, Tom, um, very quickly, uh, the lights went out. And we lost. Um, touch with our great analyst Phil Sims and uh, we're unable to hear him or half the lights were, were off in the stadium and maybe this was my the negative side of me coming out but I was somewhat worried for the safety of everybody in that you know it's a, it's the big stage thought maybe it could have been some something to do with a, a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. But it, it appeared that everybody was fairly calm, the stadium was staying 
end. Right. And, uh, yeah, it just turned out that, I don't know if they ever gave us final allegiance to White Tower when I was like that, but, uh. Yeah, I don't think they, they did. They, um, the stadium and the NFL released, um, a statement, but they, they, all they really said was they were continuing their investigation, from what I remember. Right. Um, a couple more points about the lights. Uh, the Superdome, it's such a historic uh, stadium, and actually I'm, I'm going to be able to go down to New Orleans for the first time in my life uh, over spring break uh, in just a month away, actually. Um, and I'm, one of the things I'm looking forward to is just laying eyes on the stadium. Uh, do you think it's possible that uh, this could have repercussions for whether New Orleans and the Superdome gets the Super Bowl back anytime soon? That is the one thing that crossed my mind when all this was happening. And unfortunately, I do think there might be repercussions about, from it. Uh, there are new stadiums coming online. You know, a lot of cities that are going to be bidding for future Super Bowls. And... I would hate to see it because I think New Orleans is a great place. You are going to have a great time there. <laughs> uh, I was there once uh, about a year uh, Hurricane Katrina. Right. And it, it's a great city. I mean, I, I love it. And I think the it does the NFL proud to have the game there. But um, there are... Up. There's going to be new cities, um, you know, bidding for this game, you know, for future Super Bowls. Uh, at the point now, where even New York is taking a shot at it, which is going to be very interesting next season. <laughs> right, exactly. But, then uh, that opens it up for other places, such as maybe a Green Bay, a Pittsburgh, a New England, and you have all these other places maybe going into the mix of, of bidding for the game. Yes, I, I can definitely see that as well, Tom. The the last thing with the the lights, um, actually during the break, um, the I believe it was Bill Cower was speculating that maybe Alex Smith should come in. Um, down twenty eight to six, obviously the Forty ers needed a spark on offense to come back from a twenty two point deficit. Did you ever think that Alex Smith should should go into the game? Right, and I, I guess that, that that's a really good point, Tom, with uh, Alex Smith is a is a game manager, um, not 
probably the best quarterback to have when you, when you need points in a hurry. Um, and Kaepernick probably provided that best explosiveness on offense that they could have. But this first half, Kaepernick just looked—he looked nervous and, and flustered. Right, and something that I think a lot of people may be uh, speculating about for for the next couple of weeks, once those lights went back on, it was like a completely different game. Uh, after that, um, the Ravens didn't find the end zone again, um, and the 49ers found the end zone three times uh, with Colin Kaepernick uh, passing once to Michael Crabtree, Frank Gore running the ball, and then uh, Colin Kaepernick running the ball um, for 15 yards. But the maybe the biggest play, one of the biggest plays of the game, there's always a lot of big plays in a close game, but 31-29, San Francisco has a chance to tie the game with a two-point conversion, um, and the pass attempt to Randy Moss goes incomplete, Tom. Right. It seemed like every time there was a big, a big play for the Ravens' defense, they were sending that blitz. Yeah, yeah. And they kept going back to mm-hmm. Right. So after that, um, Baltimore got the ball back, and there was plenty of time left in the game, uh, still over nine minutes. But Baltimore sucked uh, five minutes out of the game uh, and kicked a field goal. To make it 34-29, so then at that point, San Francisco needed a touchdown um, to take the lead. Um, because of that failed two-point conversion, San Francisco got back into the red zone, inside the 10 actually, for first and goal, and it seemed like they were going to score. Uh, I think Phil Sims thought they were going to score, assuming that because he said before the two-minute warning, Baltimore should use a timeout here to conserve time for Joe Flacco, and... Tom, I was sitting there watching, and I said, there's no guarantee that they score. Baltimore has a very good defense in the red zone. Um, if I was the Ravens, the, the plan was still to keep them out of the red, to keep them out of the end zone. Yeah, and the Ravens, uh, 
I think that's a that's a great point, Tom. I I was thinking the same thing. Um, your bread and butter as the 49ers is the running game um, with Frank Gore and the run option, uh, and they they elected to get Colin Kaepernick on a running to his right, cut out half the field basically, and he's trying to hit you know Crabtree, uh, and one of the passes wasn't even to him in the end zone. And I, I was scratching my head at that. Why are you throwing to somebody who's not in the end zone? I know you can get down to the two or the one, but I, if you're going to pass, I figure, okay, take three shots at the end zone. And that's always the frustrating thing about play calling and about how some quarterbacks execute. Because you see that all the time in the regular season. Uh, receivers don't go past the first down marker. Right, yeah. Quarterbacks are throwing it short. Uh-huh. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a waste of time to try and get to the two or the one uh, when you need the end zone in in three plays. And going to that fourth down play, uh, again, they they elected to pass, which was probably the right call on fourth down. Um, And there was a, a little bit of a question on whether the Baltimore cornerback, who is his name is slipping my mind right now, but um, he might have held uh, Michael Crabtree on, on the route. Uh, what did you see on that final play? I know he made his first contact within the five yards. I think the original contact was good. Right. Um, I think, I don't think there was a foul. I really don't. Um, okay. The only penalty that I would have been okay with uh, was was defensive holding. Because I thought, uh, like you said, the initial contact was okay inside the five-yard line, but then in the end zone he was still holding him, grabbing his jersey, uh, and I think you could argue the ball wasn't really catchable, maybe, kind of of out of the end zone. Uh, So I didn't think pass interference would be the right call. Um, but but the holding would give him a first down. Yeah, I think you could have called the sense of holding. I think, yeah, he did have a hold of him. You know, he did not, he didn't release from the contact 
Probably forever in the Harbaugh house. It's something that I think either way people are going to argue it um, the other way. Uh, the refs would never have gotten it right. But um, I, I'm somebody that... According to Ravens fans, I mean, the call was right. Right. Yeah, the Ravens, the Ravens thought it was a great call. Um, but I'm always an advocate for, for no calls, you know, let the players play. But in the situation, um, I, I thought he held them. So I, I felt like the 49ers should have gotten a first down. Yeah, I mean uh, that's true. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. We didn't mention that. That, yeah, just like the two point conversion, uh, a huge blitz on him, and he had to get rid of it right away. An inaccurate pass, kind of out of the end zone, and um, threw it way before he wanted to. Yes. Um, and then after that failed fourth down play, the game wasn't quite over yet. Uh, the Ravens. Trying to run out the clock, uh, 49ers used one more timeout that they had. Uh, there was 12 seconds left in the game, fourth down. The Ravens were going to punt. Um, I liked the move to go for the safety, Tom. I thought that was really smart um, to try and run out some some more clock. And uh, the the 49ers didn't seem like they wanted to tackle the punter either. He really ate up like eight or nine seconds. Yeah. And, yeah, because if you look at it, if he, you know, he's back, you know, near his own end line. If he kicks, you know, you have the possibility of a block punt, you know, for a touchdown. Right. Um, uh, a kick out of the end zone might not have been a very good punt. It right. It might have been a shorter punt, which, you know, Ted Ginn had just, you know, nearly broken one earlier. And he's always put the danger to return the punt for a touchdown, so you know, you're leaving yourself open to that possibility, or you're leaving yourself open to the possibility of a, you know one more hail mary attempt by the by the Forty ers Right. Yeah. So you... I thought it was. I thought it was the perfect play. Yeah, I agree. All those all those points are good. That a punt in your own end zone, uh, you might give the Forty ers the ball at the fifty or the forty, and you they have life to throw that heave into the end zone or even maybe two plays um if there's a fair catch um maybe there's 
seven, six or seven seconds, maybe, and you can have yeah. uh, run two plays. But but uh, after that, still not quite over. Four seconds left. Uh, the game now, uh, 34-31, uh, and the final punt. Jim Nance, I think, brought up the the rule um, for the if you call a fair catch, um, you can be elected a free kick. Are you aware of that rule, Tom? Could you, Tom, explain to the listeners um, the 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 rule on the free kick to anybody that might not be aware of it? That's a fun little rule, and you know, as uh, Nance brought up, very obscure. But at any time, any time of the game, if you whether you know, I'm mostly on punt, but you know, if you catch. Right, and and the kicker uses the tee. I I think I've seen the this attempt once, um, maybe around two thousand six, two thousand seven. I think the Cardinals tried to do it before halftime, um, and that's why I. I somewhat knew what Jim Nance was talking about. But um, did you think that was something the 49ers should should try and do? Or was it just too far where Crabtree caught the ball? Oh, Yeah. Uh, it definitely would have been if if Akers could have made that uh, possible free kick um, attempt, and then of course that would have tied the game. The one where uh, the Ravens free kick went to, you know, there was no way they could do it. Um, right. It was too far. Ginn almost broke that one. Right. Yeah. Ted Ginn had a pretty good return to midfield um, until the Ravens brought him down. So a, a very. Uh, Exciting ending to a game that, for the most part, was pretty lopsided. Uh, really changed after the lights went out and um, the momentum completely switched to San Francisco's side. But uh, Baltimore led the entire game. Uh, the Ravens never uh, relinquished the lead, and they win their second Super Bowl title, Tom. I don't know if you're aware, but remember these, these Ravens used to be the Cleveland Browns. Right. Interesting. Wow, that that's really interesting. I did I didn't did not know that they came into the league at the same the same time. Yeah, 
was uh, uh, All American Football Conference folded in 19, well, I guess it's the 1949 season. The Browns and 49ers were merged into the NFL. Very cool. So yeah. he, he had uh, two AAFC refugees playing each other in Super <laughs> Right. <laughs> And I, I always think it's it's so interesting that um, the the Cleveland Browns are the only franchise that has kept the records from the previous franchise that was there. Um, like the the Indianapolis Colts, they took the Baltimore Colts championship with them to Indianapolis. Same with uh, you know the the Houston Oilers uh, championship appearances, they go to the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. But uh, the Cleveland Browns. In Cleveland today, um, they have the credit for the championship games that they went to in the 80s, although that team is now in Baltimore. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that, that... And I think it is justice for the Cleveland fans. Um, I know Art Modell was up for Hall of Fame induction uh, selection you know, on Saturday. Right. And I was thrilled to see him knocked out of the box early, get eliminated early. Still a sore spot to uh, Cleveland fans today. Well, th thanks very much for coming on today, uh, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Oh, well, Dave, it's, it's always been a great time. I'm early in the year, and, uh, yeah, anytime. I look forward to it. Another one buys the dust, and another one gone, and another one gone. Another one buys the dust, hey. We're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. If you have any comments for our show, I'd love to hear about them. Email me, dmholcomb06 at gmail.com. Tweet at me, dmholcomb. Or find me on Facebook, search Dave's Football News. Moving on to some more Super Bowl coverage, we recap the game. We, meaning myself and Tom Pollan, uh, came on to help me out with the second half. Uh, moving on to some of the loose ends at the end of the game, uh, Joe Flacco uh, was announced as the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, I said his stats earlier on in the show, 22 of 33, 287 yards. That's a completion percentage of 66.7. 8.7 yards per attempt. Was sacked twice. Um, he escaped. He escaped a bunch of uh, uh, potential sacks and did a pretty good job of uh, moving around back there in the pocket. And you know what sticks out to you in this game: the three touchdown passes and a, to a total rating of 124.2. Uh, really incredible game from Joe Flacco. I would have liked to have seen somebody else besides a quarterback win. Uh, the Super Bowl MVP because it seems like every year now it's just the quarterback. Um, I think every year going back to 2006 now, it's been a quarterback every year but one. Uh, Santonio Holmes snuck in there to win the MVP uh, for Super Bowl 43. But we've had Peyton Manning, uh, Eli Manning, and then Holmes. But then after that it was Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Eli Manning again. Um, so I thought it would have been cool if um, Jacoby Jones won um, the the MVP, caught a touchdown pass, and returned um, the kickoff 108 yards, a Super Bowl record. 
uh, to uh, for a score. So to score two touchdowns himself. But Flacco, you know, in in this league, it makes sense. In this league today, the quarterbacks do so much. Um, it makes sense that they um, are winning most of the MVPs because without the quarterback play, you really can't win the Super Bowl. Um, and then Joe Flacco was excellent. Uh, he definitely was deserving of the MVP. Um, another thing after the game uh, that everyone <laughs> has been talking about all week, uh, the two brothers, John Harbaugh from the Ravens, the older of the two brothers, and Jim Harbaugh, the former quarterback. Um, actually, Ray Lewis had his first sack against Jim Harbaugh um, back in 1996. But um, the two brothers, obviously one had to lose. Um, the, the two of them embraced uh, at midfield after the game. Uh, I think a lot of people will, well, some people might be a little disappointed with their embrace. Uh, maybe not disappointed, but uh, somewhat surprised. It wasn't a little more friendly. Um, it was a little, it, it was sweet, but it was also a little awkward. Um, obviously... I will never know, and all of our listeners out there will never know what it's like to face your sibling in something so big like the Super Bowl. Um, I play my sister in Mario Kart every Christmas Eve, and I kick her butt, and she doesn't talk to me for the rest of the of Christmas. So, yeah, I, I would imagine it's very difficult to, to face your sibling um, in the Super Bowl. But... Um, I was expecting it to be much more friendly. Um, I, I, they didn't even hug. Um, Jim told John, you know, you did a great job. You deserve it. It sounded like is what he said. And and then uh, and John told him, I love you. But um, definitely, definitely uh, it was awkward um, as they as they embraced. And I guess the one embrace of two coaches that I remember, well, I don't remember, but I remember hearing about or remember watching. I didn't actually see it because I wasn't around. But in 1988, um, January of 89, uh, Bill Walsh coaching his last game, facing his longtime friend, uh, Sam Wyke, uh, of the Cincinnati Bengals head coach. And... Um, they embraced and, and hugged at midfield, and Sam actually helped uh, Bill Walsh into the locker room because Walsh was starting to get very emotional, and he didn't think he could he might not make it off the field uh, with all the media around him and winning the game. And you know, something that uh, Sam really didn't have to do. Um, you just lost the Super Bowl, and and um, something that he did for his friend. And knowing that these two guys were brothers, I thought you were going to see something more like that, a real long embrace, no matter who won. But I think uh, both brothers are super competitive, as you can tell from, from Jim uh, bouncing up and down and acting somewhat childish with every single play or call that goes against his team. Um, and John, not far behind him, although not quite as bad, both are ultra competitive, and competitiveness, I think, is a very good attribute of someone in the NFL. You have to be ultra competitive to to be driven to win the Super Bowl. But um, I was still a little. I was personally, I was just a little surprised that uh, they didn't 
that the embrace wasn't a little bit um, more friendly than uh, than it ended up being. We're going to take a quick break, and then in the next segment, we're going to come back uh, with some talk about Ray Lewis and his pending retirement. And we're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. Your host, Dave Holcomb. Moving on to uh, Ray Lewis. Uh, he's pending retirement coming up. Um, you know, presumably this was his last game. Uh, the great Ray Lewis has been one of the best linebackers, really, of all time. Um, and love him or hate him, you have to respect him. And he's been great. Uh but there's been a lot of controversy surrounding him, well, really throughout his career, but it's really come up this week, and the steroid story came out. Uh, I'm calling it steroid, but the the, the deer antler spray, um, the illegal uh, that's on the illegal substance um, list for the NFL, um, I just wanted to briefly touch upon that. I did write an article about it earlier in the week that um, one of my more... Uh, Articles I'm more proud of uh, that I've ever written for Football Nation. I thought it was really important for everyone to know about this story. Um, some people might think that it's it's naive to believe that these football players aren't on some type of substance or steroid. But, you know, I think for the most part, I think 99, maybe 98%, these guys are clean. I really do believe that. Um, and I, I really believe that the NFL has done a good job of maintaining the tests um, and being true to um, their word and saying that you know we test and we punish anybody who gets caught and they don't throw it under the rug and or don't care about it like uh, baseball did um, 10 to 15 years ago and pretty much ruined Major League Baseball. Um, Major League Baseball is making a comeback, but it'll never really catch up to where the NFL is. Uh, and that's that's sad for baseball and baseball fans. See what's going on with cycling and Lance Armstrong. The guy, guy has cheated in that. Um, whether people consider it cheating or not because everyone does it, that that's to me, that's irrelevant. Uh, it's against the rules. It's cheating. Um, and that's the way the NFL has got to maintain this uh, if they want to not be cycling or baseball. They have to continue to develop tests and develop a test for this substance that they don't have a test for, um, for that Ray Lewis presumably took. Um, as for you know letting Ray Lewis play in this game, I, I don't see what else the NFL could have done to... Uh, not punish him or, or, um, or they, I don't think they could have punished him or anything like that, uh, this week and not let him play. Uh, obviously a tough predicament for, for everybody, for the NFL. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. Like why did this story come out just now? Did you think, did, 
you would hope that Sports Illustrated didn't have a story and was saving it for when they get into the Super Bowl. But you saw what happened with, um, I'm thinking of the Bernie Fine story here in Syracuse, uh, that sports well uh, sports center that ESPN and and newspapers like the Syracuse Post Standard had for years, and didn't release it. Um, but I'm hoping that Sports Illustrated released it when they got it and they had enough sources to confirm it. Uh, the one final thing I want to say about the the steroid issue. This is all speculation, and you know I'm not really basing uh, any of this. Well, somewhat on fact, uh, but really kind of a conspiracy theory I've developed that I've pieced together. Uh, Ray Lewis announcing that he was going to retire before the playoffs started. He announced the retirement. It was it was kind of sudden, I felt like. Um, I'm not a follower of the Baltimore Ravens real closely, but to me, I, you know, I, I felt like it was, it was, it was a shock that Ray Lewis was going to retire and it was kind of awkward that he announced it before the playoffs and then obviously it seemed like it became a battle cry for the Ravens to go and win his final Super Bowl uh, for him but um, wouldn't it be funny or not funny but ironic or is it ironic or is this true that okay Ray Lewis tore his tricep in October I believe it was October 14th against the, the Dallas Cowboys that's an injury that was supposed to knock him out for the season. If I'm Ray Lewis, okay, I'm 37 years old. Um, this might be my last run. Uh, I'm going to do everything that I can to get back and to play and win the Super Bowl. If that means i got to cheat, I'm going to do it. And I'm probably going to get caught. But you know what? Hopefully... I don't get caught until the end of the season. We win this. Ideally, we win the Super Bowl, and I go out on top and I retire. And they can't do anything to me. They can't punish me after I'm, I retired. Does anybody out there think that's a real crazy conspiracy theory? I don't think that's too far out there. I, I really don't. Um, you know, I, I guess that I'm really throwing Lewis's character under the rug and saying that he would cheat uh, his way back into healthy playing status. But we've seen athletes do that time and time again, do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And if that means ruining my body and taking these drugs and you know going to jail maybe or um, putting my, my reputation uh, on the line and force me to lie about it, I'll do it. Um, so I, I would I would see I see Ray Lewis doing that himself, and I think he he doesn't really want to taint his name um, or have to serve a suspension or anything like that. So honestly, I think he I mean he he won the Super Bowl. He's going to go off into retirement, and people are probably going to forget about this. Um, I hope that's not the case. I hope that at least uh, fans remember that. Remember this issue so that we can apply it to the rest of the NFL and we can get testing for this um, illegal substance that there's no testing for. Um, as for Ray Lewis, you know, I'm not speculating. I don't want to definitely say that he did it or, or prove or, or, you know, um, anything like that. But 
Sports Illustrated, to me, pretty reliable source. You know, it's not it's not Deadspin. Although Deadspin <laughs> seemed to be the only accurate uh, source for um, the Manton Teo uh, story. But Sports Illustrated, I think that's a pretty straight-up source. Um, or straight-up uh, place to get your news. That they're, they're not going to stir controversy. They, they are going to report what they know and only that they know for sure. So, you know, I will let my listeners form their own opinion on Ray Lewis, but that's um, my thoughts on it. Uh, but congratulations to him winning his second Super Bowl, and he gets to do what not a lot of players get to do. First of all, he gets to leave on his own terms. So many players today, even players that have played for one uh, team for his whole, whole career, even a guy as big as Peyton Manning didn't get to finish his career in Indianapolis. Another guy that comes to mind from last year, Heinz Ward. Yes, he got to finish as a Steeler, but he didn't leave on his own terms. The Steelers forced him out. A sad day for Steeler fans and Heinz Ward. But Lewis got to make his own decision and end his career when he wanted to, and he left as a Baltimore Raven. And on top of that, he got to leave as a Super Bowl champion. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and wrap up uh, the NFL season with the, their awards announced and the Hall of Fame class of 2013. back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host, Dave Holcomb. Once again, I'd love to hear your comments. Tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can email me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B-06 at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook at Dave's Football News. We're going to run through the awards for 2012. Uh, first off, the MVP goes to AP, Adrian Peterson from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, it was cool to see a non-quarterback <laughs> win the award. Uh, Peterson, obviously everybody wanted to talk about him coming back from the injury that he had last December, uh, that he tore up his knee, um, came back stronger than ever. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to be skeptical, um, skeptical about... Um, if he did it 100% uh, drug-free, at least because of this latest thing with Ray Lewis, um, don't want to stir up a controversy. I don't think he was on drugs or anything. Um, but what a, a, he just put the Vikings on his back, took a team that won, what, uh, four games last year uh, and made them into a playoff team, won 10 games uh, this year, rushed for well over two, well, yeah, well over 2,000 yards, almost uh, past Eric Dickerson's long-standing rushing record from the 80s. Uh, just an incredible uh, season for Adrian Peterson. He also won the Offensive Player of the Year, um, beating out lots of notable players, but most notable Peyton Manning, who had a great season. Uh, he won Comeback Player of the Year uh, honor. 
So even though Adrian Peterson was also up for that, um, that award went to Peyton Manning. Uh, oh, excuse me, Minnesota won only three games last year, so they went from winning three games to winning ten and getting into the playoffs. Uh, Denver went from eight and eight last year to thirteen and three, with Peyton Manning at the helm uh, this year. Defensive Player of the Year, my personal favorite uh, award went to Houston Texans defensive end J.J. Watt. Uh, very, uh, uh, lots of players are up for this award. Um, there, there are quite a few uh, guys being mentioned, I thought, but actually J.J. Watt received every vote but one, which was quite inc uh, incredible. The only other person that received a vote was Von Miller from uh, the from the Broncos, a, a linebacker. Uh, another linebacker who played in the Super Bowl, uh, Alden Smith, I thought was going to be uh, up there getting votes. He had was up there with J.J. Watt in sacks. Watt ended up with 20 and a half um, and ultimately took home the award. Uh, Coach of the Year went to Bruce Arians. <laughs> um, funny thing is, he didn't start the year as a head coach. Um, he was the interim head coach for the Colts when uh, Chuck Pagano uh, was out and diagnosed with leukemia. The Colts went 9-3 and three under Arians and made the playoffs, was knocked out in the first round by the Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens. Offensive Rookie of the Year went to Robert Griffin III. Um, this was another award that was, there were a lot of uh, people... Up, I thought even a guy like Alfred Morris should uh, be, uh, you know, uh, up there for for getting votes, uh, setting a franchise record with the most yards from a running back for the Redskins. Obviously, Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson also had incredible seasons, um, but Griffin received 29 of the 50 votes. Luck got 11, and Wilson got 10. So no votes for for my guy Morris, but. Um, obviously, Griffin, who actually underwent knee surgery last month, uh, was definitely deserving of the award. And the last award, uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, went to linebacker Luke Kukley. I hope I'm saying that correctly, from Carolina. Uh, was picked in the first round from Boston College, was a top 10 pick. Uh, and he had a very good season, uh, led the league with 164 tackles. He received 28 of the 50 votes. The next uh, clearest, the next guy who uh, received the most votes was linebacker Bobby Wagner of Seattle. Moving on to the 2013 Hall of Fame class for the NFL that was announced on Saturday night. Uh, this is a really good class, um, and personally, I took great pride in that. I've heard of all of these guys except for one prior to seeing the list. Um, and uh, that just made me feel good because most of these guys, I barely caught the end of their careers. Um, I did not see them in their primes. But uh, going through the list, uh, seven men got in. Jonathan Ogden, uh, the first ever pick for the expansion Ravens, number four overall in 1996, went to 11 Pro Bowls, helped the franchise win a Super Bowl in 2000, and got a really good big cheer uh, when his name was announced before the game um, on Sunday. Head coach Bill Parcells. Uh, it was controversial that he didn't make it last year. 
Uh, he was the only head coach that took four franchises to the playoffs, won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants in 86 and 90, took the New England Patriots to a Super Bowl in 1996 but lost. Um, he is one of, I think, three or four coaches, I think four if I'm not mistaken, that has taken two different teams to the Super Bowl. Still, there is no head coach that has won two Super Bowls with two different teams. Parcells also coached the New York Giants, uh, excuse me, the New York Jets to uh, an AFC Championship game appearance. Uh, and the last team he took to the playoffs was the Dallas Cowboys in the mid-2000s. Another offensive lineman, Larry Allen, uh, he made 11 Pro Bowls in his 14-year career, uh, was a starting guard and tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. Chris Carter, um, I am so happy that he has finally gotten in. Uh, there's a log jam, you could say, at the wide receiver position, and it's going to start to get worse as there's more and more guys uh, retiring that are top wide receivers, and uh, I think wide receiving um, is the the numbers are getting more and more inflated because of the way the league is going. But you have guys like Terrell Owens and uh, Rennie Moss who's still playing now, but he's coming up, you know, in the next five years or so. Uh, Heinz War retired last year. Uh, can't forget about a Marvin Harrison, but. Guys that aren't even in yet are Chris Carter, Andre Reed, and Tim Brown still isn't in either. So finally, one of those guys gets in. Chris Carter, I think, is probably most deserving, although Tim Brown was very good as well. Um, Carter uh, finished his career with 1,101 catches, 13,899 receiving yards, and 130 touchdowns. To me, he's a top five wide receiver of all time. Maybe top three. Um, him... And Jerry Rice, I felt like, were the best of their era. Defensive tackle Warren Sapp, uh, kind of the opposite of Chris Carter, got in on his first ballot, seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, was a re made a, a big name for himself. He, I don't want to say this the wrong way. He, did, he had a he had a big mouth. He liked to have fun, um, but he was a real funny guy. Uh, he's fun to watch on NFL Network. He makes a a lot of funny comments. Um, he was a defensive player of the year in 1999. He helped the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the Super Bowl in 2002. He finished his career with 96.5 sacks, the second most all-time by a defensive tackle. And I'll never forget the, the quote that he had, um, I think, in an interview with Sports Illustrated. After he retired, his goal was to retire with three-digit uh, number of sacks, and uh, the, the interview, interviewer asked Sapp uh, if he was disappointed that he didn't finish with three-digit number of sacks, and Sapp said, I did. 96.5 is three digits. Uh, always a very funny guy, uh, Warren Sapp. Uh, the next guy on this list, Curly Culp. This was the one guy that I mentioned I, I didn't, I'd never heard of before. Um, he played for the Houston Oilers, Kansas City Chiefs, and the Detroit Lions. Um, he was one of the top defensive players uh, in the league during the 1970s. He made six Pro Bowls in his 14-year career and helped the Chiefs win Super Bowl IV. 
And the last guy that I was very proud to know, this guy, I've heard of him. He was a very old player. Played for the Green Bay Packers from 1963 to 1972, Dave Robertson. He was a key player for those great Packer uh, defenses uh, during the Lombardi years and the two Super Bowl championship teams. Uh, played linebacker. Obviously a lot of great talent on that team. I think it's awesome for a guy that has been out of the league so long, hasn't played since 1972. I think that's really cool that he uh, gets in. Real quickly, because we're running short on time on the show, um, other guys that came close to being elected, running back Jerome Bettis, defensive end Charles Haley, wide receiver Andre Reed, defensive end Michael Strahan, and cornerback Arenas Williams. Um, all guys that I think should be in. <laughs> um, maybe I'm too easy, but these guys, some of them were my heroes. Um, and I just think... Uh, you know Jerome Bettis to me. I'm I'm surprised he didn't get in. I'm I'm really surprised at that one. I'm surprised Michael Strahan didn't get in. These these are guys that I thought I think are clear Hall of Famers. Um, Bettis, this is his third year that he's up. So now he's missed it three years in a row. The first two years, Marshall Falk got in, and then last year, Curtis Martin got in. Um, so it's like, okay, well, Bettis, will, he'll pay his dues. He'll get in next year. There's no other running back ahead of him. Still didn't get in. So that that's leaving me scratching my head. And other guys, the you know, Haley, uh, Williams, uh, Andre Reed, those are guys that I think should be in too, that they're, they're very good players. And I hope they get in eventually. Um, other notable guys that made the top 15 but not the final 10, Tim Brown, wide receiver we mentioned before. Uh, 49ers owner Eddie DeBarlow, linebacker Kevin Green, uh, Browns Ravens owner Art Modell, and guard Will Shields. Um, not a whole lot um, that I really want to say about them. I think Tim Brown is deserving. Eddie DeBarlow, yeah, uh, an important owner. Uh, same with Art Modell. I feel like he went far this year, possibly because of uh, the passing of you know, his death earlier in the fall. Um, and Kevin Green, Will Shields, good players, uh, Hall of Fame, I don't know. Yeah, borderline Hall of Fame guys uh, that, you know, maybe they'll be enshrined someday. Uh, there's a lot of guys that uh, I think are borderline or should be in that just come so close and they don't. Somebody that I think really should be in and is not, um, you could call me biased, but Elsie Greenwood. Uh, defensive end for the Steelers in the late, late, late 60s and then through the 70 years. Um, of the great Steel Curtain, the original four of the Steel Curtain, the de defensive line, only one of those guys is in the Hall of Fame, uh, Joe Green. So all four of those guys were great, great players. Joe Green had the longest and um, most celebrated career, but I think Elsie Greenwood made uh, six or seven Pro Bowls, if I'm not mistaken, maybe even eight. Um, I, I think he's deserving. Uh, you know, obviously, it helps him that he was on a four-time championship team, uh, but he's somebody that in, just sticks out in my mind that should be in the Hall of Fame, and there's other guys out there, I'm sure, as well. I'm so happy, I really am happy that Chris Carter finally got in, uh, but I'm, I'm hoping 
Andre Reed, Tim Brown, Strahan, Bettis, these guys uh, join him in the next couple of years, if not next year. We're going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to come up and wrap up the last episode of Monday Morning Huddle for the 2012 season. And we're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. Your host, Dave Holcomb. Just wrapping up our final episode of the year. Our Super Bowl coverage is just about done. I covered every angle that I thought was important. Uh, recapped the first and second half. Once again, Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, the Joe Flacco wins Super Bowl MVP. Uh, congratulations to him and the entire Baltimore Ravens franchise uh, for winning their second ever Super Bowl 2-0 in the Super Bowl. Um, Super Bowl 47 championship will be added to their Super Bowl 35 championship from 12 years ago. Um, covered the brothers embrace. Uh, tried not to go on and on about it, but I thought it was a key uh, story. The two brothers at midfield. A lot of people I think are tired of the, hearing about the Harbaugh's but I thought that was important. And then of the the Ray Lewis uh, steroid issue, his retirement, and the MVP award, the, the awards for the NFL, uh, the MVP, and the Hall of Fame ballot that came out this weekend as well. Uh, I just wanted to send out a few thank yous before the, the end of this show. First of all, I want to thank Bill Enright, um, a, the general manager of footballnation.com. Uh, he uh, gave me my first opportunity on the website, um, hired me as an intern uh, before the summer of 2011, and I've worked there for, uh, originally it was for uh, fantasyfootballchamps.com, and then the, they opened up the, I guess, sister website, Football Nation, and stuff really took off. Um, I started writing, um, and I write uh, year-round. Um, I try to get 10 articles in a month. I fall short uh, quite a bit, but that's my goal every month. And um, this past summer, the second summer I was working for him, I saw uh, Alex Reamer and his podcast on uh, the website. And um, I said, that was, that's really cool. It's a cool that uh, the website is expanding. And it was Bill that encouraged me to make my own show. And... Um, produce this uh, and produce Monday Morning Huddle and edit it myself and uh, it was a learning experience at first I didn't know what I was doing but um, I really got into it and, and it was really exciting to do it um, once a week um, most weeks during the summer and then every week once the season started do it Sunday night and into Monday morning even though um, this semester I have class at 11 still up late editing the podcast it's been fun um, so thank you very much Bill for encouraging me to do this show and I want to thank all of the um, people that came on and helped make Monday Morning Huddle um, a better show including Tom Pollan and Cooper Allen both of those guys are great writers and great con contributors to the Football Nation website and uh, they both came on the show twice 
and we have a I would say a pretty good working relationship with both those guys and I hope I can continue to work with them um, going forward um, I'd also like to thank uh, Wayne Hood Dakota Crawford and Alex Reamer all guys that write for uh, Football Nation Alex Reamer actually mostly just makes his podcast FN today on, on Wednesdays and uh, personally thank Alex for <laughs> doing his podcast which inspired mine um, his comes out on Wednesdays of course mine is Monday morning and Wayne Hood and Dakota Crawford were uh, guest stars uh, back uh, I think our Thanksgiving episode um, on uh, back in November um, they provide a great insight to uh, the AFC South and the Dallas Cowboys and then the last person that we had on as a guest or my last two people um, Tyler Sapala and Spencer Parody, uh, two uh, close friends of mine um, Sapala uh, a, a um, fan of the New York Giants and we had some fun over the summer uh, talking about a preseason game with the Giants and Spencer Parody, uh, my roommate up here in, in Syracuse uh, he um, he and I both love the NFL, but we also have a passion for baseball. And um, we had a fun time chatting about what to watch on Sundays during October, uh, the MLB playoffs or uh, NFL Sunday uh, football games. So those are all um, the thank yous I think I had uh, to to send out. If I also like to thank the Academy, um, you know that's a given. Uh, and if there's anybody else that um, I'm forgetting, um, I apologize. But I, I think I, I covered everybody that, that came on the show. Um, if you want a uh, DVD copy of the Season 1, the entire Season 1, all 33 episodes of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, I don't know why you would want it on DVD. It's a, it's a podcast. But... Um, if you want it on DVD or CD, uh, it doesn't exist. So don't try and shop for it or buy it on iTunes or anything. Uh, if you're interested in any individual episode, uh, randomly, uh, I guess I could send it to you. I have them all saved on my computer, and I could make you uh, a copy of Season 1. Um, but other than that, um, that about wraps up Season 1 of Monday Morning Huddle. Um, I expect that we will have a season two, uh, you know, despite that I don't think I'm going to win any Emmys for this, uh, this show, but, um, I, I really have fun doing this. And even though I'm going to the, um, work field, uh, this next year, I hope I have enough time to continue making this podcast every week and, and bring back. Uh, bring it back to Football Nation and have a season two. I expect to start it um, around June, so keep keep your ears open and um, in anticipation for the beginning of season two. Uh, maybe I'll bring it back for the NFL draft around April, but I am going uh, um, back to Europe um, from the middle of May to June. So there will be at least a three or four week gap where there won't be any episodes then. Um, so debating my to myself whether I can bring it, should I bring it back in April or just wait until I come back from Europe um, in in June. But uh, just to keep your ears open for for season two coming up in the, in the next few months. Uh, so my rambling is done. 
Thank you to everybody, uh, footballnation.com. Don't forget to check out all the other great stuff we have covering Super Bowl 47. Um, there will be plenty of great stuff the next couple of weeks and into the off season. There's always good stuff. Um, if you love football, really, honestly, there isn't a better website online where you can come and get um, great insight, insightful uh, football news. So that's it for me. Uh, until next time, I'm going to try and find some peace. <laughs>